I'd like to welcome you all here and uh, say a particular thank you to Derek and Pauline Stringer who have given up a day of their vacation, their first time in Canada to spend with us today. And we've so much appreciated Derek's ministry this morning. As you probably know, he's actually been giving three different messages throughout the day. If you turn to your Bible, as we're going to read Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, and that's on page 114. The words will be familiar to you because Pastor Paul often uses this as a dismissal, so what I don't want you to do is when I read it is to disappear out the door. The other warning perhaps I should give you for Derek as he comes to speak to us is that he's actually on 2.30 a.m. UK time. And if he, if he doesn't fall asleep preaching, you must not fall asleep listening. <laughs> so Numbers 6, verse 22, Aaron's blessing. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. God bless his word to us tonight. Good evening. Talking about time, I don't know whether you know the little ditty, now I sit me down to sleep the sermon long, the subject deep. If he should quit before I wake, I ask someone give me a shake. <laughs> One of the things about an evening like this with the lights dimmed, I can't entirely see you, but I'm sure that you can see me and I shall be keeping an eye out there, you know, just to see how we get on. Thank you very much for the welcome and it's a delight to be here. We actually, Pauline and I, live on the south coast of England in a place called Christchurch, which is a resort center. And although this is our first visit to Canada, I've actually had about five preaching invitations through the years, and none of them have I been able to take up. The last one, I thought it was going to be a success and I would get to be here. It was going to be in the Banff area, and I was really looking forward to that and Pauline could come with me and then they moved the conference to Lincoln Nebraska <laughs> now I like the people in Lincoln Nebraska that's where back to the Bible radio program beams out from and where I was going to be doing some guests preaching and teaching for that program over the US and over Canada as well but I'd much prefer to have been in Banff to be honest you know much better kind of place but as uh, if you've had an opportunity to read the bulletin you will see that doesn't mean that I'm not used to speaking to Canadians but they're normally between the ages of 18 to roughly 22 or 23 hundreds of them who will come over to Europe as Bible students for a year and they'll go to places like England or Sweden or Denmark or Germany or Austria or Switzerland 
which also has some nice Alps and mountains as well. And that's where I would be doing the teaching and meeting them through the years. But it really is nice to be able to make it here and to be involved over this time. So thank you very much for the welcome and for the many of you who've risked coming back this evening, having listened this morning. That's very encouraging to have you back again on this evening too. Moving around, as I've tended to do in the ministry that God has entrusted to me, I've been involved with all sorts of Christian communities in many different countries, and the cultures, of course, are very different in each situation. For example, in an African church, they will often say to me, now, we start at a certain hour, but you come two hours later because it'll be a bit of an endurance test for you and Englishmen in this situation. And if you come in a couple of hours' time, we'll just about be set for when you speak for an hour and a half. Now, I know that you're expecting me to speak longer than that. You're not, are you? So don't worry, I know I'm not in Africa. But one of the things that I've discovered as I move from place to place and have these opportunities through the years is that meeting for worship, we may do things differently, but we usually end with some kind of benediction. Now, is that just a nice way to wrap up the service? I mean, it could be embarrassing if you think it's finished and it hasn't finished. So you're walking out, but the preacher has still got more to say, you know? I didn't set that up as a visual aid, I promise you. <laughs> but it would be a bit awkward if that was the case. So normally, we have some kind of benediction so that it will end well. And we know when we can go off and get a cup of coffee or something else. Is that the only reason for it? What I would like to show you this evening is this, that really in our acts of worship, the benediction is one of the most strategic and important stages in the whole of those times of celebration worship. And that if we get the benediction right, and we enter into the experience of what it's all about, it will transform us and people through us throughout the remaining week. It is that crucial and that important if we get it right. Now, a benediction is a blessing, you see. The most famous of the benediction blessings that we have in the Bible is the ironic blessing benediction. I didn't say the ironic blessing benediction. It comes from the brother of Moses, Aaron, and how he would stand at the tabernacle as worship concluded for the nation. And he would raise his hands and he would give them a blessing from God imparted through him. Paul wanted a similar thing for the church. So to the church at Rome, he said, I really would love to be able to come and be among you and communicate the things of God among you because I'm not ashamed of the gospel and I want to see it making a difference in your community and to use you to go on beyond to make a difference in other communities as well. And he wraps things up by saying, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure 
of the blessing of Christ. Don't we want to move into this week in that full blessing? So that in some way, we become a blessing giver wherever we are, into whoever person's life we happen to touch, but we touch them with the blessing of God. I have long thought this. One of these days, I would love to walk into a room and for people to be more aware of Jesus than they are of me. I don't think that has ever happened. But I would love them to know and to think, you know, I become more conscious of Christ and who He is and what He wants to be about because Christ is my life. And something of His life and His presence becomes communicated through my life and my presence. And you know what? I believe it can happen. If we can grasp what is involved in the benediction this evening, this benediction that comes from Aaron, and we can see how it applies into our lives, we will be able to walk out of this building, not only in that blessing, but able to impart that blessing to other people. We want that, don't we? then let's follow along and see how that can happen. So, let's begin in the right place by asking, what are we talking about? And in Bible times, a father blessed his children, and it was far more than wishing them well, which of course we wish for our families and for our friends. It was a most significant and serious time when they were saying, we want something very significant to happen in the life of our children so that in the future they will go on in the full blessing of God. And God is saying in the benediction that we've read, whatever it takes, I want you people to know my peace and provision in your life. I want you to experience shalom. In other words, a sense of harmony in all of your relationships with God and with other people. I want you to experience the blessing of my name being upon you so that when people meet you, they're meeting somebody who is identified with me. You know how an orphan from a poor background is adopted into a big wealthy family and they take on the name of that family and their status has changed, and thus their state has changed. And I want that for you, is what God was saying through this blessing that came from Aaron. God wants for us, in other words, the blessing of good luck. Do you realize every Christian should believe in good luck? But don't get me wrong. The kind of luck is L-U-C-K, living under Christ's kindness. And that's the best kind of fortune, if you like, we can experience and know. And when the greatest teacher the world has ever known came and began his ministry, he began it with a single word, blessed. And then he defined and described and 
made it particular. Blessed is the person who's experiencing this and blessed is the person who is like that. He was the great blessing giver. Now, what blessings are available for us? What can we take in and experience now and into the future? Do you know there are 7,457 promises in the Bible? If you were to read one a day, it would take over 20 years. Try preaching a series on the promises of the Bible. It will take you 143 years. We're going to be long gone before the series is over. And though not every promise in the Bible is specifically for us, there are thousands that are. And specifically, there are 75 blessings we can experience because we're identified with Christ. I'd love to be able to go through them all, but I can't. In fact, I feel a little bit like an Egyptian mummy, pressed for time. So all I can do is take four blessings, two we like, and two that are blessings in disguise, because we don't always realize they are a blessing, but indeed they are. And as we focus upon them, we'll get the feel of the blessings that we can know and we can experience. Now, one great blessing that we like is the blessing of the cross. I would never say to somebody, are you a sinner? That's a bit direct, isn't it? I'm an Englishman. I wouldn't be that direct with people. So I won't say, are you a sinner? I will say, are you perfect? And when they say, no, I'm not perfect, no one's perfect, oh, I say, that's what the Bible calls a sinner. And we may rationalize it, and we're used to doing that kind of thing. Others lie, we're clever. Others cheat, we're shrewd. Others are bad-tempered, we're righteously indignant. Judging others, they're selfish, we're practical. But in the end, sin is sinned, and the trouble with it is that middle letter, I have sinned. And every sinner needs a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior, isn't he? J-E-S-U-S, just exactly suiting us sinners. What a blessing it is. But there's a second blessing that we can experience and we like, and that's the blessing of Pentecost. The blessing of knowing we're not just forgiven because of what the cross has done for us and our identification and belief in what Jesus did at Calvary for us. That's only half the gospel. The other half of the gospel is that he rose again and he ascended and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he comes to live in us. Do you realize Jesus didn't have any strong points? How could he have any strong points? He didn't have any weak points. If you haven't got any weak points, you haven't got any strong points. So perfectly he had the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and all the rest of it in his virtues. Now, with Christ living in my human spirit, I have all that he is in me. What a blessing to be able to reckon on that. One of the biggest lessons I have ever learned in my Christian life is this. The Christian life isn't easy. It isn't difficult. It is impossible. And God never intended me to try to live the Christian life because I can't measure up. He wants to live it through me. 
In other words, as somebody has put it years ago, the Christian life is not a changed life, it's an exchanged life. We understand that? It's his life to be reproduced through my life. It's him to do things through me. It's me saying, thank you that you can be patient through me. You can be self-controlled through me. You can be all that you want as I reckon upon you and release your very presence through my humanity. What a blessing. But let me tell you another blessing so that we get an umbrella view of these blessings available to us. And this one, we don't like, but think about it. The blessing of trials. James put it like this. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Our faith will never grow unless it's tested. Our commitment unless it's threatened. Our patience unless it's taxed. Our compassion unless it's pushed. Our courage unless it's challenged. And it will be. Do you know why this is so important to know? More than half the pain we experience comes from the shock of having it in the first place. In the medical field, in England, and I'm sure that is true of this part of Canada now as well, when there is a major surgery and the family or close friends come following that surgery, there is somebody who is designated from the surgical team to go and speak to the relatives and friends and to tell them how it has gone. Now often they will say something like this because they need to prepare the family for what they will see. Now they've come through the operation well but when you visit they may not be conscious of you. You'll hear a lot of sounds coming from machinery that's quite normal. They've come through the operation well. So you walk in on them and they know that if they don't tell you something like that, then you're likely to walk in and say, oh my goodness, they're dead. However, being prepared like that, you are going to have one of two reactions. On the one hand, you're going to look at your loved one and you're going to say, it's true. <laughs> they do look like death warmed up. On the other hand, you're going to say, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Now, what is the difference? And the answer is preparation. Now, can we look at our troubles like this? It's not the whole answer, but we will lose heart unless we realize it is part of the answer. Most people we meet will say, I don't know about the afterlife, but I want to get the best I can get now. If this is the case, suffering will destroy us because it will destroy our meaning for life. Our reason for living is not to suffer, but suffering is inevitable. We have to enlarge our theory of life so that we can handle reality. Can we see that? So that through the trials, it needn't be wasted 
with wisdom from God that we can pray for, it can move us on to be much more the mature person of God in this fallen world when suffering impinges upon us in the here and now. Do you see why I say it can be a blessing? It's why one old lady I know in a church where I used to pastor said, I now don't know the difference between a suffering and a blessing. Because she understood that truth. Can I give you just one more blessing so we get the feel of these blessings? And that's the blessing, again, we're not particularly keen on, but think it through, the blessing of discipline. The writer to the Hebrews said there are four musts in the Christian life, blood, faith, holiness, and discipline. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without faith, you can't please God. Without holiness, you won't see God. Without discipline, you're not a child of God. Discipline may make us think of punishment. That's fine if my concern is for the good of a child. I mean, you find your child or your grandchild telling lies and you will want to discipline them in some way because you know that if they get away with that, they are going to be unhappy later in life because they will think they've got away with it. Other people are trying to get away with lies towards them and that's not going to make for security in relationships or happiness. And other people will realize they're not entirely truthful now and won't relate to them at all well. So you'd seek to correct that the best way that you know how. Now, in Hebrews 12, it's a father who disciplines. What does a good parent say to a child that needs discipline? You're staying home. You're not going out to play basketball. You're staying in. Now, that's punishment but not retribution. And God is a perfect parent giving us designed pain for our good. God is a father who didn't design a suffering world that came about because man rebelled. But unless we see life's hardships like this, we won't make it. The Christian way of handling suffering is unique. It's neither the stoicism of ancient culture, nor is it the self-centeredness of modern culture. Listen to Hebrews 12 and the fifth verse. You have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. That's stoicism. Stoicism is not endurance. Let me give you another example from child rearing. So you say to that child or grandchild, did you lie to me? When they realize they're cornered and you know, and they admit to it, and then you say, right, you're not going out to play. Go to my bedroom. You don't these days say go to their bedroom. There's too much social media there. So you say, go to my bedroom, or you'll sit on that step until I say leave, something like that. Now, they can have one of two reactions, can't they? One is they can yell, it's not fair, 
I want to go out and play. Something like that. Or they can react like this. I don't want to go out anyway. Now that's stoicism. The parent is the enemy, not the lying. I'm not going to let you get to me. I'm not going to be unhappy. That's stoicism and not the way to deal with hardships. On the other hand, do not lose heart when he rebukes you. That's the modern way. No good can possibly come from this. There can't be a God. I can't see any reason for it, so there can't be any. A good parent's discipline is always too much, too long, and in the eyes of the child, always unfair. And it will be years later that that child looks back on the discipline and realize how right it was. And it's when they hear themselves disciplining their children in the way in which they were disciplined. When suffering, almost instinctively, we retreat. We retreat from prayer. I mean, what's the point of praying? God's not answering my prayers. We retreat from reading the Bible. I'm not getting any blessed thoughts from God now. We retreat from church. What benefit is that to me? We don't eat right. And Hebrews says that's the worst possible thing to do. I don't understand, but you are my father. And I will obey you. And I'll do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because I have a right feeling about the thing. Now, a blessing on our lives is crucial. Contemporary culture will say to us, it's what you think that matters, not what other people say about you. You've heard that. So in the morning, look in the mirror and say nice things to yourself to Crank yourself up. Get yourself in gear for the new day. I'm a wonderful person. I can achieve something. I can do anything today. That kind of approach. But it doesn't work because we know the truth. But we all need people who say to us, you are of worth. You are of value. And we need that so much in this broken, chaotic world that sometimes we're so insecure, we'll look to the wrong source to find it. And young people can get exploited. If we have God's blessing, we have freedom and confidence. We know who we are and we're not so needed that we're running around trying to find it from other people. We've got our status, we've got our stability, we've got our value, we've got our worth in all that has been done for us and achieved for us through Christ and our connecting points through him. But how are these blessings conveyed? Imagine Moses' thoughts when God told him to bless the people. The Lord make his face shine upon you. He would be astounded. He might have been inclined to say, would you please say that again? Because I'm not sure I heard you right the first time. Because you see, on Mount Sinai, when he had said, I would like a face-to-face -face with you, Lord, 
The Lord said, it's not possible, Moses. I'll let you see the back of me after I pass by. But my very holiness would shrivel you up in the here and now if you were to have such a face-to-face. There is no way sin can dwell with holiness. So when Moses hears God say, it's possible for my face to shine upon you, they, he will be staggered by the very thought of that. But there's a big hint in the blessing itself as to how it can happen. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That's it. The Lord's face shining on us is an act of radical grace. So somehow, God must do something about our sin that stands in the way so that we can have such a face-to-face with him. And the blessing came at the end of the tabernacle service, which was after the offerings had been given as a substitute for sin, sacrifices of animals, as a means for them to know it will be through the shedding of blood. They could know an atonement, a oneness with him. It wasn't entirely clear to Moses, and it was something they needed to repeat quite often. And the writer to the Hebrews picks up on that and says, but there is now an ultimate sacrifice that has been made in the Lamb of God, so that we can through our identification with him, now have that one-to-one. How does this get God's face shining upon us? Because everything we deserve fell upon Jesus. And everything he deserves falls upon us. And this is the crucial blessing we need and can have. Don't we want to give this blessing? How do we become channels? Get visual, vocal, and value other people around about you. A look, a word, and a touch. Have you noticed the looks of Jesus in the Bible? He could look at Peter who had just denied him and melt his heart. He could give him a second look and restore him into a ministry. When I was very new to preaching, I was invited to my first Bible conference as a speaker. There were to be two of us. And I realized very quickly when I arrived, I was there for the young people, not for the older, mature, serious Bible believers. The man I recognized his name but hadn't met but he had a a national reputation as a Bible teacher. He was there for them. Come the end of our time serving together, I had a letter from him. And I remember it well. He said, my ministry is drawing to an end. Yours is just beginning. But I believe God has his hand on you, and he's going to use you, And he's going to bless you in a preaching and teaching ministry. And I am going to pray for you daily 
for that blessing through your ministry. As time went by, I would go to meetings in the area where he was living, and he would always make a point of coming to those meetings, and he would sit there very visible for my eye to catch him. He had a big Bible, I remember. He would open it, put it on his lap. When I said something and mentioned a verse, immediately his eyes would go down to that Bible to follow along. He didn't need to do that. That was for me. He knew that verse better than I did. But you see what he was doing? He was being a blessing through his look. He was being an encourager in that situation. We can do that, can't we? With one another. We can, can't we? Just in a look. Get visual. And get vocal. There is a firming power in our words. We can build one another up through our words. Have you noticed that if you talk about worry, you end up being more worried? You talk fear, you end up being more fearful. But we can talk out the Word of God, can't we? And encourage one another in the truths of God by thinking God's thoughts after Him. And always finding fault and criticizing is cursing people. Bless one another. Blessed by God, we dare not do less. Get visual, get vocal, and give value a look, a word, carefully done, a touch. Do you remember the touch of that leper? Jesus made probably the first touch he'd had in years. It transformed him in blessing. Has this ever struck you? Friendship was never created because from eternity, friendship always was. In the Godhead, between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, friendship existed before existence. That's why loneliness is such a problem for us, because we were not made for loneliness and for insulation and isolation from one another. Think about it. Adam was created perfect but it was not good for him to be alone. His loneliness wasn't a sin. It wasn't because he was imperfect. It was because he was perfect. And he was meant to have relationships with other people in that state. All our other problems, the problem of anger, the problem of pride, the problem of selfishness, the problem of arrogance or jealousy, it will arise out of sin. But the problem of loneliness arises out of the fact we're made in God's image. And we're not meant to be isolated and insulated people. Have we been lonely? We're lonely now. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to be lonely. Even Jesus needed to battle with loneliness. So he wanted disciples to be with him. To have their company. To share with them. The less we need friends, the less we're like Jesus. It was the first day at the college course on sociology for these 18-year-olds. Just a group of 15 of them with the teacher. And the teacher in her late 40s, early 50s said to the group, Now, I want you to introduce yourself. We're going round the circle. Give your name, 
and then tell us one thing you like about yourself. So they started to do this, and they came halfway round the circle, and they came to a girl who had long hair, and all the time she'd had her head down with her hair over her head. And the teacher said, your turn, dear. And she sighed, and she said, if you'd like to know what I don't like about myself, it's this. And she swept her hair back from side of her face with a large birth blemish covering it all. The teacher hardly thought she just reacted in a spontaneous way. And she reached out and she said, it's all right, dear. And she gave her a kiss on the birth blemish on her cheek. It wasn't all right. The girl crumbled into tears, did wonders for the bonding of the group, because she said, why couldn't my mum and dad do that? They wouldn't even let me talk about it. Why couldn't they do that? A look, a word, Carefully done, a touch, we can convey a blessing. Give blessing, but get more of it ourselves. Every believer experiences saving grace, but there is the greater grace that we can experience. James says he gives more grace. John referred to it when he said, from the fullness of his grace we have all receive one blessing after another. God has not made it easy for us to fail at living the Christian life. hate repeating myself, but I'm going to say that again because it's so important. God has not made it easy for us to fail at living the Christian life. He's given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Let's not settle for less than every spiritual blessing flowing into us and flowing through us, okay, but how? What are the conditions to be blessed and to pass that blessing on to others? James writes about more grace, and he quotes the Old Testament to indicate how. Proverbs 3, 34. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. A proud life is hard to grace. So we expect challenges from preachers like me on evenings like this. Get closer to God. And then you can be blessed to be a blessing. Listen, that could be the worst advice I could give to you. Come on now, get closer to God. Do this and do that to get closer. Not that there will be necessarily anything wrong or unbiblical about some of those things, but it just won't help us to get into the blessing of God. The answer is to fix our eyes on Jesus. To so laser focus upon him, who he is, what he has done, what he means to us, what he will mean to us. To so celebrate that, so affirm that, so be thankful for that, so be full of worship for all of that. So fixing our eyes upon him, we will discover, we will reflect something of that through our very lives, 
from his indwelling of us. It will come through us. We'll be more conformed into the image of Christ. We'll discover we can actually believe in evolution. But again, don't misunderstand me, because the kind of evolution we can believe in is being changed from one form of glory to another. Because we're reflecting something of his presence, reckoning upon it as we fix our eyes upon him. In Norway, they have mountains. I doubt that they are as grand as yours. But there are villages so surrounded by mountains. I know of one. You can check this out online. It didn't get any light at all between October to March. And that did something to the people, living in darkness all of that time. So you know what they did? They installed large mirrors to reflect the sun rays. And now during light days, people will sit in the square, children will play, mums will walk with their infants, and they'll enjoy coffee with another mum, all of that. Because there's a reflection of the light. And you know, that's what we are to be. So fixing our eyes on Jesus, the very light of his life will begin to come through. Any circumstance we face, Jesus really is the answer. I can prove that to you. Do you know that in the Bible there are over 240 titles for Jesus? And every title is a promise. So you go along the road and you see a title, supermarket. That's a promise. You know, you can get your provisions there. So think about just a handful of the titles of Jesus. To the hungry, he is the bread. To the thirsty, he is the fountain. To the blind, he is the light. To the sick, he is the balm of Gilead. To the dying, he is the resurrection and the life. To the uneducated, he is the truth. To the lost, he is the way. To the carpenter, he is the door. To the builder, he is the sure foundation. What do we need? He is all of it to us. To the geologist, do you know what he is? The rock of ages. To the astronomer, do you know what he is? The bright and morning star. To the zoologist, do you know what he is? The lion of the tribe of Judah. To the soldier, he is the prince of peace. To the orphan, he is the everlasting father. To the psychologist, he's the wonderful counselor. He's the door and what you find on the other side of the door. He's the fountain from which the water comes and he is also the water. He is the priest that brings the sacrifice and is also the sacrifice. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and to the end. The A to the Z. What do we need? He is it all. Fix your eyes upon him. Let's not settle for less than the full blessing of the grace of God in our lives. So we humble ourselves under his mighty hand that he might lift us up in that blessing to release that blessing through our lives into the lives of the people that we'll meet and touch and speak to and be involved with throughout this week. So I'm almost done. And this will probably be the last time I'll speak to you. Highly unlikely I'll not pass this way again. So I'm going to say goodbye.
which means God be with you. Only I want to say it as a blessing. And my blessing in the Lord is this, that we do not experience love, but a love that surpasses knowledge. That we do not experience joy, but a joy unspeakable and full of glory. That we do not experience peace, but a peace that transcends understanding because of the much more of his grace. So goodbye, and God bless you.